Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Today on We Do Recover, I have a special guest for you today. Her name is Crystal Thompson, and we are excited to have her on the show. Let's introduce the rest of the lineup here. We have our producer that's always with us, Sean Denovan. Uh, hi. And your co-host, the Doc, Terry Sellers. Good morning, everybody. This podcast is recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Love the weather down here, except for when it's 120 freaking degrees. But, you know, maybe that's just my issue. Episode 43, part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. If you or a loved one need help, give them a call. Even if you don't have the right insurance, even if it's not a right fit for you, they can find somewhere for you to get help. Give them a call, 801-800-8142. Are you ready to do some new and goods, Doc? Sure. You starting with me? Yeah, let's get it. What's What's new and good? Well, I think I bit the bullet. And I'm going to buy a Tesla. The Tesla. That's that's probably a good choice for you because I hear that it has like auto drive. Yeah. I right? Need, I need a car that can drive itself because apparently <laughs> I've lost the ability to do so. You didn't total another car, did you? No, not me. <laughs> How many does that make? Four? 17. <laughs> now you're, you're buying one with a uh, Dr. Pepper dispenser in it, right? <laughs> Man, I wish I knew. I wish I'd have known they had that option. Hey, for the price of one of those things, it better do more than just, you know, have a Dr. Pepper dispenser. Yeah, you know, they're surprisingly not all that expensive. Really? Yeah, well, some of them are, but the... Just the, the same price as my house. No the little you. basic Model <laughs> 3... I'm not, I'm paying 40 grand, which is, you know, that's a lot of money, but for a new car these days, that's really not. And so I was surprised how affordable it was. Like I went down, I went down driving some cars. I drove a Hyundai Santa Fe and it was, first of all, Hyundai's done a great job with that car, but it's 44,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't really get anything for that's of any decency for under 40 grand anymore. It's ridiculous. Well, that's exciting. What color yeah, is it? Blue. Cougar blue. What? Oh, of course. Cougar blue. Of yeah. course, Sean. And what day is it going to get delivered? They had, oh, like 19, like a 2049, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's nine to 13 weeks out. See, it feels so like forever. Huh? It's going to be a while. Yeah. But I'm excited about it. It's a f- fun car and Nice. I, like, I like fun cars. So I just want to say thank you for having a new and good, Doc. Yeah, it's usually I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Crystal, what's new and good in your world? What's going on with you? So I have been getting to spend a lot of time with my boys. Nice. Nice. Anything in particular? Um, getting to take them camping. They got to come to the convention and um, just getting to spend a lot of time that I have missed out on. I saw some pictures of you guys going camping and fishing, and that's awesome. Where was that at? That was at Calf Creek. It was beautiful. We went with a big group of friends, and um, so I've been doing a lot of things like that in the past few years, fun adventures with friends in recovery, and um, one of the biggest things is I always wish that my boys could come because I know that they would have so much fun. Right, and, right. Um, just been dreaming of the day that they get to come to things like that yeah. and it's been happening that's so awesome that's that's new and good man yeah. you know it's funny just this week i had a client say do this do things really get easier do things really get better boom proof right there right i mean so was that a that sounds like that was a dream for a long time and yes. and it happened it manifested so i have i'm really uh careful when i tell people in recovery Oh, it gets better. It gets better. Cause for me, it didn't get better right away. It's taken a lot of years and there have been years of just pain and misery while being clean, which has been super hard because, um, it would have been so easy so many times to just say, screw it and go and get loaded. Right. Yep. But thankfully I didn't. (laughs) And We're now, thankful for that as well, Crystal. Yes. So now I'm getting to see some of the blessings that come along with being in recovery. 
that's amazing. That, yeah, and you know, I think the promise the promise is it gets better, right? But it's not. There's no time on that promise. Sometimes it gets better sort of quickly, but we have a lot of wreckage to clean up usually. And so when I t- when I tell people it gets better, it does absolutely. Like I've never seen it not get better. I've never seen a person who gets uh, two years down the road and regrets being in recovery. But um, it takes a while to clean up the wreckage for sure. Like it doesn't get better the day you quit. Man, that just makes me so excited to get into all of that. But before that, let's check in with Sean Denovan. Sean Denovan, what's new and good in your world? I have a brand new air conditioning system in my 2005 Ford. Thanks nice. for asking. Nice. That is that's it's not a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I had to buy a new air conditioning unit, so that's cool. What was that? Just like a can of? <laughs> no, no, it was a thousand bucks in Beaver. Oh, really? Yeah, when I broke down. But I have a new AC, and that's new, and it works, which is good. Right. Yes, so that that's is, my that, new and good. That's new and good. I broke, right? Yeah. Any new bailing wire on the motorcycle? Yes, we're getting ready to go to uh, uh, somewhere today near Richfield or whatever tonight. So we got the camper all ready to go and getting ready to take the motorcycle out. I hope somebody knows where you're actually going. I have never broken down on the motorcycle and had to be towed home. Never. And you are just cursing yourself. My car, like something else. Same you. But yeah, there you go. That's that's all. Beautiful. I love it. It was a challenging love week. I love it. <laughs> but you got a new AC, AC system in the truck out of it, which is yeah. fantastic, especially in this weather. It, I've yeah, I spent two days moving in this heat, and I'm pretty sure I got heat heat stroke. Oh, like yeah, it, yeah. it's brutal, brutal. I mean, it made your beard grow bigger. It yeah. did. His beard yeah. is noticeably bigger this yeah. week, isn't it? You got this whole Wyoming thing going on, or yeah. Alaska, yep. yeah, or hipster. Right. I can't tell. Yeah, he's yep. got something. Get that man bun. We'll call it a good. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I couldn't <laughs> rock the man bun. I couldn't. I'd I like couldn't to see the man, the man bun on you. Hey, Jared. Yeah. What's new and good? Uh, I got my sweet mom coming down today to visit me. Sweet mom. Yeah, that's Judy Miller, good. number one fan of the show. Yeah, she's amazing. Love my mom. So she's coming down with Mandy's mom, and we're going to kind of do some wedding plans. Oh, I mean, it's man. like the in-laws are going to be together. Only a couple weeks away. We should probably start planning it, right? No. I mean, it's fine. Why? I told Mandy, just tell me what I'm wearing and tell me where to show up. I'm good. Okay, so that's the perfect thing for the for the groom. Yeah, so that's new. Don't have a bunch of opinions. Just do what they tell you to do. Absolutely. Your, Absolutely. Marriage, your marriage will be fine if you do that. <laughs> so that's new and that's good. Beautiful. Let's transition into Crystal here. Okay, I gotta, um, I'm going to start with a question. I just don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to start with a question. It's coming to him. Yeah, I'll, I'll get there eventually. Am I don't I? know the answer yet. So. Okay, well, good. <laughs> Sweet. No, really, my question is, it's to w- where we started. And that is, uh, tell us a little bit about you right now. And particularly, I want to tell us a little bit about your kids. Like, how many kids? What are their names and ages? Or you don't have to tell us their names and ages if you don't want to. But um, just let us know a little bit about your kids. Okay, so I have three beautiful children. Um, The oldest, his name's Skylar. He is going to be 16 on Sunday. And he took his first driver's ed training class uh two days ago so scary yeah (laughs) so scary but uh it's fun when a kid can actually drive because it if you got to go get a loaf of bread all of a sudden they're (laughs) eager to just get in the car they're not like you know they'll complain if you ask them to go to go get a loaf of bread on foot but Man, if they can get in the car and go do that, they're all of a sudden all excited. So that's that's a little bit of a relief when it actually happens. So Well, if I get him a Tesla, then he can just <laughs> drive himself, right? Yeah, or right. the car will drive yeah. itself. I, or if I think he donates just, one. <laughs> you there you her? go. I think he just pu- punch in, go get bread, and it goes and does it by itself. Like the car actually drives into the store and everything. That would be awesome. No. Uh, okay, that's Skylar. Super cool. the, that, that's super cool, though. Like, just just real fast. Where do you do you have a memory of when you first got your license? Like for me, oh yeah, my my but best friend growing up, Parker Russell. Shout out to Parker Russell. Me and him got in this little car and rocked out to Blink One Eighty Two for at least a whole gas tank, and we had nowhere to go. We just drove. You know what I mean? Just rocking out to Blink One Eighty Two. That was what was cool back in the day, and it was just so much fun. What was yours, Crystal? So I had a Dahatsu. Whoa. Wow. It was this tiny little car. Yeah. Was it a truck or a car? A tiny little car. Okay. And it was pretty much made of cardboard and tinfoil. Yeah. With bailing wire. And um, (laughs) it was a stick. 
Yeah, sure. And I remember the first time I got in it and drove, I drove straight to my friend's house and was like, you got to drive this for me because I barely made it here. (laughs) (laughs) And so for the next months, my friends would be, oh man, we'd be going up a hill or something. And they would be like, shift, shift, downshift. And uh, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. I think everyone should learn how to drive a stick, their first vehicle, because then they can always do it. And I had um, a Beastie Boys cassette tape that got stuck in there. So it was always Beastie Beastie Boys. Boys. Beastie Boys. I like it. (laughs) Daihatsu and the Beastie Boys. Yep. (laughs) I like it. All right, Sellers, take us back in time. Tell us about Fred Flintstone. Well, first of all, you ever driven a Daihatsu? No. I actually have. And you're in first gear going, it's like, you're at 8,000 RPMs, but you're going one mile an hour. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And then it's time to shift so you can make it to two miles an hour. It's so cool. Uh, yeah, they're they're an interesting little car for sure. I would catch air in it a lot. <laughs> nice. I, uh, I uh, drove one uh, overseas, and I, I drove a little one of their little kind of truck delivery sort of things. And, oh, my gosh, it was terrible. Uh Take me back. So I learned to drive on a Volkswagen in a Volkswagen bus, uh, and I had. I remember. I have this memory of. I had a friend who also drove a VW bus. Ours were both red. My father had. My father was into music really quite a lot, and uh, he had gone to Radio Shack, and we had quadraphonic sound in this VW bus. There were four speakers and something different came out of each of the speakers. And, uh, I thought it was cool. So one more, a rolling concert. Yeah. It was like, it was a VW bus. It was almost like I was a grateful dead fan, but I wasn't a grateful dead (laughs) fan yet back then. Yes. Now we are dating ourselves. Uh, grateful dead. (laughs) We went with the beastie boys. We went with, who'd you have again? Oh yeah. Blink. And then, uh, and then we got, we got uh, the Grateful Dead. Um, but I remember driving early, early in driving, and my, I was going the same place as this guy, a friend of mine that had another VW bus. And it was early in the morning. Nobody was on the roads. And we got out there, and we drag raced our VW buses. Oh, <laughs> and they, nice. they, they're a little bit like a Daihatsu. I mean, we're going eight miles an hour, you know, and we're thinking we're breaking land speed records. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's he, my memory. He's going to have a lot of fun. Okay, Skylar. What's Skylar into? Um, Both of my boys are gamers. Okay. I love getting them out of the house. Yeah, sure. And doing things that. <laughs> doesn't have to sure. do with video games because yep. they get will, a loaf of bread son they'll play all day um we went cliff jumping at sand hollow the oh. other day and Whoa. that was super fun that sounds fun super fun yeah i don't know if you guys have been over there i haven't but it was like it was made to jump into the water really yeah yeah oh, that's, that's cool it was that's on the really north cool. part right mm-hmm. yeah that's an awesome spot you don't do that high um it's debatable what? Well, I, I, I did a lot of things high. I, I, I didn't like I got high and stayed high and stayed yeah. in the, at home. Like yeah. I didn't do much, but okay. So that's Skylar. Yep. Let's Oldest. go to the next one. Then my middle son is 13, almost 14. He'll be 14 next month. Oh yeah. He'll tell you that. Yes. And his name is Harley. Whoa. It's a cool name. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. It's Harley David Thompson. What? <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Yep. The motorcycle producer looked up when you said Harley David. <laughs> <laughs> it caught his attention. Yes. Uh, okay, so he's 13, almost 14. Almost 14. Because they'll tell you that, right? Yep. At my age, I don't say I'm 61, almost 62. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You're not quite as ancient. Yeah, I'm almost 62. No. So, uh, okay, what's Harley into? Harley is... Gamer? Yes, okay. and he is a night owl. He will stay uh, up all night, every night, since he was two years old, uh, if you let him. Uh, or if you fall asleep first, then he's up all night. Yeah, Just you know, always been that way. You know, there's a little, um, I haven't really read anything about this in the medical literature, but I am probably someday need to do my own study. But I have a theory <clears throat> that... Um, and, and I don't think your kids are going to grow up to be addicts, but uh, whoever knows. I have a theory that opiate addicts like that sleep schedule. 
and I've mm-hmm. asked a bunch of them, and I don't really have it compiled into data yet, so I couldn't really tell you for sure if it's true, but I will tell you that's a common sleep schedule for opiate addicts. Alcoholics are the opposite. They like to go to bed, and they like to get up early. Opiate addicts would go to bed at 3 in the morning and wake up at noon. It's hey. crazy. Sounds like my schedule. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds exactly like your schedule. It is my schedule, and I, I, that's why I decided, I wonder if that has anything to do with anything, and so I started asking people, and it's really common. That's a common schedule. Skylar, don't do drugs. No, um, that Harley, Harley. Harley, don't do drugs. Sorry. I hope none of my kids do drugs, because they, all of my kids, both sides, mom and dad, uh, tough. addicts, so that's hopefully. That's tough, because that means... They can't even play around because if they do, they're at high risk. For they it. can learn from you guys' mistakes. Like I know some people that had parents as addicts and they were like straight shooters because they saw the, you know, the things that we subject ourselves. On the to. other hand, and I don't mean to say this about your kids, but on the other hand, my kids watched me go through hell too. And I've had some kids that have struggled. Yeah. So you never know. It can happen, but it doesn't have to. So that's good. Okay. So uh, we got one more, right? Yes. Okay. My daughter, Jada. Jada. Shout out to Jada. <laughs> Jada's 10 years old. Yeah. Yes. And so what she is into right now is fidget toys. Mm, like spinners and. So poppets in particular. I don't know if you know what that is. What is a poppet? I don't. I have one in my purse in the car well, that she gave me. We're probably not going to let you run get it in the middle of the podcast. She has but. like a hundred and she barely gave me one she was like oh, was this painful, is for your huh? birthday i'm like my birthday's not for months but she wanted you to have it <laughs> she loves, she loves <laughs> well i had you. to beg for it <laughs> and i bought them so no no this one she bought with her own money that's cool that's yes that's cool. a gift that's a nice gift what is a poppet what is it so what is it i what think it they do? made them for kids with like sensory issues yeah, yeah, yeah. and sure. they you push the pops okay flip it over and push it some more and I've had a few people say it reminds them of, you know, the packing pop things. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like Bubble that. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. I love that stuff to this mm-hmm. day. Yeah. It's, no, that's great stuff. That was the best invention ever. Right. They're actually fun. Like, I'll sit there at work and just pop it. That's cool. <laughs> and then people will tell me I'm annoying and to stop. <laughs> you think she has ADHD? Uh, no, not her. Okay. No. All right. Harley might. Okay. Harley might have a little bit of that. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. I just know that uh, in school, uh, in school, kids with ADHD actually learn better if they have a distractor, if they have something else. Yeah. And I remember growing up that way. Like, I, I just can't sit there and listen to the teacher nonstop. I got to have something else. Hmm. Well, that's the funny thing is I got a text from her and she's like, Mom, can I order these toys off Amazon? She's like, my, my teacher said I could play with them in class. And I was like, what? I've never heard a teacher say that you could play with the toy in class, but okay, we'll get you some. I think they're starting to kind of come around to things can be helpful instead Mm -hmm. of distracting. So so that's amazing. Isn't this the coolest? Isn't this what recovery is all about? Like having a guest on and and having them take us through our journey is super cool, but also just having somebody that can come on and be like, this is my life in recovery today. Like here's my (laughs) kids. Here's what we're doing here's what they're into like it's just it's awesome yeah that is awesome um married single in a relationship i have an awesome boyfriend you do (laughs) awesome boyfriend yes his name's chris awesome shout out to chris shout out to chris chris (laughs) Chris is listening right now i'm sure i think so if he's not on a phone call he does he does phone sales from home okay so he's my stay-at-home boyfriend okay well, that's there awesome. You, there you go. Yep. That's cool. All right. We'll have to have Chris on so we can pressure him into yeah. popping the question. Yeah. Because you're really good at that, Sellers. I am good at that. Sellers should be like a dating interventionist when yeah. you get to a point <laughs> where like it just needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so we are both very happy with never being married. There you go. <laughs> yes. I've gone through, well, so my parents' divorce, and then now my dad is going through a divorce again right now. And because of that, I'm just like, yeah, I don't think I ever want to do that. Yeah, well, divorce is super hard, right? Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. And if it's that hard being just like a bystander to it, I can't imagine right. being the one actually going through it. So I'm I'm good with just having a boyfriend forever. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what You do you. <laughs> Uh, okay, take us back to the beginning of time. 
Oh, boy. That meaning your time. And let's go back to tell us a little bit about growing up. Like, what was uh, what was your life like growing up? Where did you grow up? So I, when I was born, we lived in Pleasant Grove. Okay. And, Where were um, you born? What hospital? Provo City Hospital. Okay. Yep. And my parents were Mormon, married in the temple. Um, I had an older sister and then a younger brother. And we just had, like, most of my childhood that I can remember was amazing. Always had everything I wanted. Um, just had a blast playing, you know, we had a, when we moved to St. George, when I was in first grade, um, we lived out in Ivan's and we had a pool in the backyard. Way cool. Was, and was Ivan's nothing at the time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think we were the only house that had a pool in the backyard. So you were like the coolest people on the whole block, right? Well, so it was a HUD repo house and my dad builds houses. And so when we, when he bought that, it, I remember it would rain and we would have to put buckets out because all the roof would leak. Yes. And for me as a kid, it was awesome. You know, that's, I was like, oh, cool. Oh, there's fun. another one. It's an you adventure, know? right? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. we would, and my dad remodeled the house and made it really nice. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. He built us a fort in the backyard with a big rope swing and trampoline. And back then we would ride bikes a lot. So we were just always out in the desert, riding bikes, hiking, just playing, swimming, having fun. Uh, I'll remind you that while you were doing that, it was 120 degrees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't seem to care about that. Well, stuff no, the kid, thing is, right? kids don't get that, right? right? They don't care. Oh, I'm sweating a little bit. Big deal, I can remember right? playing soccer as a kid and thinking that it was so hot that my brain was boiling. <laughs> so I do remember some of the heat. Uh, yes. Uh, that's, okay. the title, and that's the title of this episode. <laughs> that's a great title. My brain is boiling. Yes. Crying because yeah. I wanted to go inside. Yeah. That's, it gets hot for sure. But uh, for kids, they tolerate that a lot better than we do as adults for sure. All right. So <clears throat> how was school? Um, I was never very good at school. I was good at art. That's my, that was my subject was art. Other than that, I, and it may be cause I never really tried. Yeah. I, if I didn't like the teacher, yeah. I wasn't interested and okay. I wouldn't right. try hard, but I mean, I always passed, you know? Right. But so, so you were fine at school. You I did not love school. Right. Now that's, a, <laughs> now that's probably a really accurate statement. Yes. But if you never flunked, then you did fine. You were fine. That's all you got to do. Right? I got by, yeah, yes. Sure. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't your favorite thing to do. Um, I can remember school being very awkward and I did not, like, I spent many days eating lunch in the bathroom by myself. So there's some social anxiety mm. going on at yes. a young age. Yeah. Not, not having friends. If I did, I would have maybe one or two friends, you know, yeah. and if they weren't in the same classes as me, I never got to see them. Sure. Yeah. So, so you felt like you didn't fit in. Is that a safe statement? Yes. And I, okay. I hated school. Always yeah. had always hated school. Right. Okay. So yep. some kids are excited to go to school, but I don't understand them either. Not me. <laughs> Although I went to school forever, but still I just, I, I'm with you like school. Yeah. Okay. So, um, friends growing up, what, um, well, who did you play with? Like what kind of friends did you have? What so, did you do? I mean, I had lots of different friends. One of my best friends from, oh, I'm going to say grade school, like through middle school was Becky Snow. Becky Snow. She was my Snow. best friend. Yes. Shout out to Becky Snow. <laughs> Haven't seen her in ages. Really? <clears throat> you should look up Becky Snow. Yeah. I, she probably has a last, a different last name now. Sure, that might be tough, but yeah, a lot of people on social media include their old last name, so you should look up Becky Snow. To say Maybe hi. I'll do that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, okay, so that's a contrast, though, that I don't know if I totally understand yet. At school, you felt like you didn't have any friends, mm -hmm. but then you just said, and I talked about friends, and I'm, we're probably talking about not in school, but uh, after school, 
Oh, shoot. I didn't so, see the timer. We're about out of time. Sean, this is what happens when Doc Sellers takes two weeks off of a podcast. He forgets that it's a 50-minute podcast and not a four-hour autobiography, but we love him. That's okay. We'll just hit record and stand back for six days. Join us for part two where we get into Crystal's story of coming up and the, wow. her struggles, her journey with addiction after this 30-second break. Thank you. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. All right, welcome back to part two, episode 43, where we're wired up, fired up, happier than a kid on Christmas morning. And we are about to jump back into Crystal Thompson's story of, of uh, coming up and her journey into recovery. We got... Uh, we took some left and some right turns in, in part one, and, and we're back. U, some U-turns. <laughs> With some U-turns, we're back on the road. So before we jump back into that, though, uh, episode 43, part two, is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. If you're traveling through southern Utah, give them a Google search. Type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. And even if it's 120 degrees down here, it's still fun to come visit. So yeah. check them out. Yeah. They got a nice pool you can cool off in. So I'm about to go jump in that pool. Yeah. Chris, here I come. Good for you. All right. So um apparently <laughs> I got so lost last <laughs> last segment. I had no idea we were even close to the deadline. And Sean, Sean, our producer, kind of gives me a little wave and there's like twelve seconds left. And I'm in we're in grade school still. So we gotta move this along a little bit more. So let's get to we may skip a bunch of details, obviously, but Let's get to your experiences with drugs and alcohol. Like, tell us about your sort of first exposures and how you got started. So I was 12 years old the first time I used a drug. Whoa. Yes. It's pretty young. That's hard on the brain. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. It was marijuana. Okay. And I loved it. So um, how does a 12-year-old get exposed to marijuana? And what, I mean, what was that exposure? Like, just a friend had something or... I had a sister who's two years older than me, okay. and uh, she introduced me to it. Okay. She's just like, one day, mom and dad are gone, and she's got a joint, or what? I mean, if I remember right, it was like her and her friends, and she usually always had older friends, too. Okay. And um, I remember we were on a camping trip, and her and her friend were trying to talk me into doing it, mm. and... Um, they were like making barkies. I don't know if you know what those are. I don't. Just barkies. cigarettes no. out of bark. Oh. And smoking those just to I, like. I know them as birchies. Okay. Yeah. Same, maybe same difference I'm, though. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. but no, You're good. And um, I remember on that camping trip, I kind of decided, okay, I'm going to try it. Because they were telling me, oh, this person does it and it's so cool and this person does it. And it was all these people that I thought were cool in school and like looked up to. And they all do drugs. They They all do drugs. So that had to have been what made them cool. Mm -hmm. And at this time, (laughs) um, Becky Snow, my friend, had no classes with me. We were in, well, yeah, so it was sixth grade. We had no classes together. So at school, I was pretty much always alone. And um, yeah, so I made the decision. It was the summer of sixth grade. And I made the decision that I was the next time my sister had some, I was going to try it. Hmm. So, what was the experience? Do you remember? Um, I loved it. Okay. Yeah. So I lived out in Ivins, and there was this old greenhouse across the street, and it was abandoned. 
and we would hang out there a lot. They had pulleys that we could like swing around in and climb up on the shelves. And um, it was in there and we smoked, we smoked and I went home and I ate a bowl of mm. honeycomb cereal. Of course you did. And it was the best bowl of honeycomb of cereal it, I have ever had. And after <laughs> that, it was just like, you know what, anything that I can get my hands on that makes me feel different, I'm going to do it. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So keep going. At the innocence of 12. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, rough start I also effort. think it's an important thing. So I believe that I was an addict before I ever tried a drug. Um, I can remember loving to go on the swings and like put my head back because it would make me dizzy and um, go on the merry-go-round thing yeah. and get super dizzy. And then like me and my cousins and my sister would, we would, oh, I'm drunk as a skunk and try to walk straight after that. And then um, before the age of 12, there was this thing. I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but it was you would hold your hands on someone's throat and it would make them pass out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I got to the it's point where I would do that to myself. Mm. I could do it to myself. I remember being at my grandma's closet and making myself pass out in there. And I think I had a seizure. I woke up on the floor and was shaking. And that's how bad, like just little things like that were for me. Right. At, you know, before I was even 12. It was different. Like you, mm. you, you liked making your brain feel different. I liked Going to a different place. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So th through high school, what was drug use like? Um, so the as soon as I started using drug, I all of a sudden had, or drugs, I said mm -hmm. drug. Um, I all of a sudden had tons of friends. Always. There was always people around. I never ate in the bathroom alone anymore. I was out in the washes in the fields by Snow Canyon getting high. So what do you think changed for you? Like what, what, what caused that change? And was it just that you no longer had the social anxiety because you were a little intoxicated and didn't care? Was it that you felt like because the other kids did it now you're doing it, therefore you're part of them? Well, part of it was I was cool now. As if someone knew that I had drugs on me, mm. I was cool and they wanted to hang out, hang out with me. Yeah. And a lot of it too is I can remember always feeling uncomfortable, always just super self-conscious, uncomfortable. And as long as I had a drug inside of me, I was comfortable hmm. and could deal with it. Like I could deal with anything as long as I was high. Yeah. So it made life more manageable for you. Mm -hmm. and that's the problem is a lot of times that that's not uncommon. Well, and you've heard the saying drugs aren't the problem. They're the solution. Yeah. That they were a solution to a problem you had at that point, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how fun is school if you feel like you don't have any friends or you don't fit in at all? It's not fun. And then all of a sudden, people think, oh, she's got some pot. We might want to hang out with her, and you're cool. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's the drugs in that case aren't really the problem. They're the solution to what the real problem is, and that is you didn't feel like you fit in. Yeah, well, lack of self-confidence, lack of social skills, lack of stress tolerance, right? Yeah. Well, and I can remember like feeling alone a lot. And as long as I had a drug with me, I didn't feel alone. Mm. Like I had something to do. So, well, your, you new, know, your new best friend. It was comfort yeah. for me. Yeah, That's why a I think a lot of people when they talk about it's important to grieve your addiction because it is. It can become like a, a best friend for some of us. And it, it's important to to you know, break up with that best friend and grieve it and grieve its loss. And I even know like Ben from Usara that we had last week, he has a picture of him. <laughs> it's his, his mug shot and, and on it, his friends have written goodbye like messages. And I think that's super cool because it is yeah. important to acknowledge that. Yeah. So what was, what were you using in high school? Mostly um, pot? So I tried marijuana first. And yeah. then after that, I got anything I could get my hands on huffed gas, dust off, anything. I had already done meth, um, acid, everything by the time I was 13, that pretty much every drug. So you went just bonkers. There was a lot of opium around back then, That's which crazy. was weird. Cause I've never seen it ever since it was like middle school and a little bit of high school. There was a lot of opium. Yeah. You, you know, they used to, used to be able to go to the pharmacy and get, it was a prescription obviously, but mm -hmm. get a tincture of opium, which is 
only recently in the last decade has that completely gone away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, uh, tell tell us that lead us into where things started to go downhill. Yeah, it, like when did the powerlessness and the unmanageability come in? Um, so I never recognized that I had a problem. I never thought I was an addict, anything like that. So the first time I can remember wanting to quit and trying to quit and not being able to was in my 20s. Okay. And I was into meth a lot. And I always hated meth because I didn't like the way it tasted. I didn't like the way it smelled. I loved to sleep and I couldn't sleep on it. Mm -hmm. And I loved to eat and I couldn't eat on it. But for some reason, that particular drug got a hold of me and I would want to quit and I couldn't. And I would try to quit and I couldn't. No matter. And I would promise myself I'm not going to use. And then I would use again. Really, mostly just because you hated that you were doing meth Um, and and the way it made you feel? I didn't like the people that it would bring around. I didn't like what things that it would do to me. But then at the same time, I loved it. It was weird. That's like the powerlessness though, right? Mm -hmm. Like the powerlessness basically is when you continue to impulsively relapse due despite of negative consequences. You have despite negative consequences. Yes. Thank you. That's our trend. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's in my, in my mind, that's the powerlessness that she's talking about. She didn't like some of the things about it, but it, she could not stop. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect example. Thanks. So, um, tell us about why you, how did you stop then? What, where did you get, where did you get the courage to stop or what was that motivation like or? Um, getting my kids taken away from me. Ooh, that's painful. Mm-hmm. Walk us through that a little what, bit. Yeah. What happened? Um, so my kids have gotten taken away from me twice. So the first time was around 2013 and I had admit to my dad that I was on meth. And the second I said that, um, the way he looked at me was completely different Mm. because I had never admit that to him before. Like they knew I was on something. They just didn't know what. Yeah. I was going to say it probably wasn't a shock. Yeah. I was, I was, I got really sneaky. I had to, cause my parents were Mormon. (laughs) And so, so it was always, you know, hiding it. I had learned at a young age, you hide, you hide it. And, um, yeah, so I kind of asked for help. I was hoping that he would take my kids for a week so I could sleep and quit. Basically detox yourself Mm -hmm. off. And, um, it's funny that that's not the way he decided to help me. Um, weird. Well, how did he decide to help um, you? By calling the cops on me, sending sheriffs to my house over and over. Mm. Um, I would bring them in, show them the kids, show them I had food in the fridge, and they would leave. Um, they were to school on time. They had clean clothes. They were always bathed, you know, so, um, so they would leave. And then DCFS started showing up. I think I had, like, I don't even know how many... DCFS drop-ins, same thing. I would bring them in, show them the kids, show them they had food in the fridge. Kids were clean, safe. And so they would close the case. Right. Um, the last time they came, they were asking me to go and do a drug test. And I had dealt with DCFS before in the past. And I knew that I didn't have to take a drug test if I didn't want to. And I told them, you know, at this point, you guys have been here how many times I feel like you're starting to harass me. And I was like, I'm not going to take a drug test. Um, Please leave. And so from that point, um, my dad found out that if he took me to juvenile court, then they could um, pretty much force me to have to take a hair follicle test. And so that was when my kids were removed from me. For my home the first time okay that's pretty interesting because i'm a big believer in letting people experience their natural consequences right it kind of goes back to like if you had a child and and it was a hot day and you said we're going to the park and they come out and they're in their snow clothes what do you do right uh i would what i would do is i would pack some 
cooler clothes for them, let them go to the park, experience their natural consequences and say, you know, uh, but it sounds like your dad kind of pushed those natural consequences onto you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he wasn't letting her experience the natural consequences. He was making her experience those things. Right. Which right. isn't a bad tool, by the way. That's Yeah, it, it, it can be a painful process. It's a, hard tool. it's a hard tool, but that's not a bad idea for people. What was your guys' relationship like at that time? Um, I hated him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's that perspective? Has it changed at all? Yes. Yes, me and my dad are starting to build our relationship back. Yeah. He came um, to the river with us. So my dad works a lot. He has a real hard time not working. I think he's a workaholic. <laughs> and um, so he went and we took him up to Sheep's Bridge. And he actually jumped in off the cliff into the water and swam with us. And it was really awesome. That's super cool. And in your dad's defense, can you kind of look at it from his point of view? Like... I think there's a stigma around addiction and he knew nothing about it. And so he basically kind of, unfortunately, uh, when they don't understand it, they're afraid of it. Right. Right. And so by being afraid of it, a lot of times, uh, they cut their loss and move on to try to save and salvage what they can. And that's super hard, but it sounds like that's kind of where he was at. So my dad has brothers and sisters that were heavily into drugs. Um, as far as I know, he's never tried a drug in his life. Um, I Except think for work. Yeah. He smoked a <laughs> cigarette when he was eight and he told the bishop and um, that's the extent to that. Never did his, his any type of use. Yeah. As far as I know. Um, so, yeah, looking at it from his side, I total. I mean, he was doing the best that he knew sure, what to yeah. do. Yeah. Sure. So, so. You get caught up in court, mm-hmm. get your kids taken away. Yep. Was that your aha moment? Was that your, kind of your rock bottom? Um, it was pretty much the worst day of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I have struggled with it a lot because I got put in with at the Southwest Center with all of the, the girls that were in drug court. And to me, like... I had never been arrested. I mean, I had gotten in trouble when I was a juvenile, but since I was an adult, I had never been arrested. I had never, you know, gotten any sort of trouble. And when I was young, uh, it was always because my dad would call the cops on me. Yeah. And so um, I really did struggle with that a lot because um, I'm sitting in with girls who got their house raided um, left their kids, abandoned their kids for weeks at a time. And that's why the state took them. And, you know, um, so there's a whole lot of, I'm not <clears throat> like these people. Yes. I'm different than, these I can people. remember saying, <laughs> why would you put me in with these people? Yes. You know, it's and pretty common actually. Yeah. So I went into, I went into that first treatment experience, kicking and screaming, kicking and screaming. Um, I would scream, um, Marie Blazard was my therapist. (laughs) Love her. Just talked to her the other day, still have a great relation with a relationship with her, but I hated her. We would scream at each other. Nice. Um, yeah, it, I remember the first day I went in. Where was, what was this? What treatment center? So this was at the Southwest center. Okay. I was self-paid in with all the people who were in drug court. Those people. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. you were way different than them. Mm-hmm. Because you hadn't got arrested, you didn't have a drug problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for exactly. sure. And I also thought that I could continue to smoke marijuana and I would be able to graduate and get my kids back. Oh, for sure. I, lo- I love when parents say to me, now listen, I understand that this is a drug treatment center, but my boy's not like, or, you know, my boy or girl's not like these people. And mm-hmm. I don't want these drug addicts to, to rub off on my yeah. boy or my girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, they and, yet my boy. and yet their son or daughter's overdosed two or three times. Right. And it's like, holy cow. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it took me, I remember first you had to show up on time to even get into the group mm-hmm. and I couldn't make it there on time. I would be three minutes late, come running up the stairs and Marie wouldn't let me in. She would tell me she'd lock the door. Yeah. Come, <laughs> come when you can come on time. She so I think your unmanageability. 
I like so it. I think it took me at least four times of driving across town, <laughs> running up the Southwest Center stairs to try to get into her group. And I finally got it. I was finally there on time one day. And she asked me why I was there. And it took me probably a half an hour to say, because I use drugs. I had, like oh, this happened and this happened and this and this and this, you it know, was this, it was these people's fault and mm-hmm. my dad and yep. you're here because your dad called the cops, right? Mm-hmm. It's the only reason. Well, because he took me to court. Yeah. Right. Not because you were using drugs, but yeah. because your yeah. dad called the cops. Yep. For sure. That's a hard mentality to break it, though. It Us is. as addicts are really it good is. at being victims. Right. We're victims of our circumstances and victims of the universe. Is right. that kind mm-hmm. of the, Absolutely. Yep. sorry if I'm putting words in your no, mouth, but it's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Good. But you so, finally admitted it. Yes. <laughs> what happened from there? How um, was that treatment experience for you? Other when so you finally showed up. I, at one point, I signed up with a different treatment center to try to go there because I hated Marie so bad, sure. and <laughs> it was this whole. I was a freaking spoiled brat. I was a brat. I can remember yelling at the lady at the front desk, and yeah total pain in the ass, you know? And after like working in recovery, I'm like, oh, you remind me of me, you know? Like, oh, and I'm just like embarrassed because I'm like, okay, I was that person. Like looking in a mirror. But um, one day something clicked and I got it all of a sudden. I got recovery. And so it took me seven months of being in that, in Marie's group and I got my kids back. And so as soon as I got my kids back, she basically just graduated me. Mm. So I got custody of all three of my kids back. And I did really good for 18 months. Right after my 18 months, um, I relapsed. And this relapse lasted a year. Yeah. And it, um, I'm still paying for that relapse every day. I just barely got the opportunity to um, try to fix something on my background. So I'm getting all of these papers and letters and things that I've done in the last five years and proof that I've done these things to turn in to try to get um, one charge removed from my record. So that's been cool. And hence why you started this thing off by saying you're kind of careful to tell people it gets better Mm -hmm. because it does, it takes, the wreckage takes time and you got to do the work. And if you think that the things are magically going to go away one day, you're uh, in denial because unless you file the paperwork, unless you do the work to be able to get rid of that past or um, get a clean slate, it's going to sit there. Mm -hmm. See, and I don't know if things get better. It gets different. It's different for me. Cause like I've had great times and happy times and amazing, beautiful times high as well as clean. And I've had some of my lowest moments in my life when, since I've been clean as well. Well, that's because you can't really have a lot of low moments when you're completely numb, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, numb, numb, we get numb to avoid these low moments, right? Yeah. And now that I'm clean and I can feel again. Yeah. yeah. So that those low moments, you feel them. Yeah. So for me, like the low moments that I've had clean are worse than the low moments I had when I was high. Cause when I was high and something hurt, I could just go and get away. high and numb, numb it. Yeah. Goes away. That's why it became mm-hmm. your best friend. Every time yeah. you had a bad thing, it yep. showed up and helped you feel better. I could automatically change the way I was feeling. Yep. Good. Yeah. Good. I think that's one of the things we don't acknowledge all the time in treatment is the drugs did serve a purpose and they were that some of those purposes were helpful, right? I mean, you Mm -hmm. felt better and you didn't, uh, you you lost all your inhibitions and all that stuff. We, we got to acknowledge that there is that, but then you also have to acknowledge the fact that you lost your kids because of it, that, that that wreckage. And I think we live in a, a day and age where we feel like there should, life should be perfect and painless all the time. And that's just not reality. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there are going to, things are going to happen in life. They're going to suck. Things are going to happen in life that are going to be hard. And if we're turning to something to numb up every single time, then, you know, we're not experiencing life. That's not life. Yeah. It's not. I also want to point out too, real quick. And then I'm going to ask you a question and let you take us out. we got two minutes left here. Oh no. Um, that's why I feel like coercive power, like coercive influence, like the judge or a parent saying you have to do this and mandating it oftentimes does not work. It's like the lowest level of power 
you know, by, by forcing people into it. Mm-hmm. I, I bet you could agree the second time around it was more because you wanted it. Um, I got my kids taken away again. And for the first, I thought that if I got clean this time, um, if I just stayed clean for a year, I would get my kids back. And when that year hit and I didn't have my kids back, it was real bad. And then the second year hit and I didn't have my kids back. Somewhere around my two-year mark, I got 50-50 custody of my daughter. And that was like almost enough to keep me going, you know, because at that point I was like suicidal. It was, it was bad. And, um, so now it, it changed, I think. And I stay clean because like, I might never get custody of my boys back. Right. I think you will. I think one day you will. I'm hoping, but if I don't, I'm going to be okay. There you go. That's a good, that's a good attitude. I love that. If you had a message, sorry, go ahead. You're fine. If you had a message to somebody who's in a similar situation as you and, and is kind of down and out, what would it be? I mean, things always change. Things always change. You're not going to feel like that forever. Sometimes you might feel like that for a year or even two or even more, but it does change and it does get it does get better. You don't things, want to say it. Things do get better. <laughs> Certain things do get better, but it's also like struggling, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, thanks for sharing your story. That was amazing. Sorry we <laughs> uh, sorry we took our time, but that was great. Crystal Thompson. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal. You have such a beautiful light about you. You're amazing. Thanks for coming on and sharing your strength and, and hope, and hopefully you touch some lives. Thank we'll see you, you guys next week. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.